As part of a series, kind of lightheartedly referred to as History's Mysteries, uh, this, is, this is a very serious topic, and it's got to do with the Lincoln assassination and all the principals and secondary individuals that were involved in this. Uh, with us is an author, a retired educator by the name of Troy Cowan. He's written two books about this period, the Civil War and its principles. Uh, one is entitled Lincoln, Davis, and Booth, Family Secrets. The other is entitled Isola. Before I throw it over to Troy, I would just ask people, if I were to ask you, with regard to history, if you ever remember hearing the name Martha Lizola Mills, eh, it probably won't ring a bell. But if I were to attach the name Booth at the end, would that ring a bell? And uh, it's about that person uh, to which we will speak. And, Troy, um, I want to thank you for coming on, and I want to thank you for the two works you did, because i got to tell you, they were right up my alley, and it came at a really good time, and I've enjoyed them both. Well, so fine. thanks for spending some time with me. Yes, I'm glad to do that. Now, uh, I just used the, the name... Isola, which is the which is the principal name of the book, but actually there's a subtitle, and that is the story of John Wilkes Booth's wife. Uh, before we go any further, I just want to uh, find out from you whether or not, to this day, there are contentions as to whether or not Isola was John Wilkes Booth's wife. I mean, we can say she was a paramour, I guess. Uh, is there some contentiousness about referring to her as, as Booth's wife? Absolutely. There are many people who doubt it. Uh, in fact, there are people who even doubt that she even existed. So Isola was married to uh, Charles Bellows at the time that she supposedly married John Wilkes Booth. And so when I do in I, my book, I say that it was a love affair, not necessarily a marriage. Uh, but yes, I do believe she was married. I think they had a, a marriage certificate that if found to be yes. obviously in a, in a bigamous state would be nulled and voided. Yes. All right. Um, how old was she at the time? Now, Isola lived only to be 50. Is that correct around there? Yes, exactly. Uh, her age approximate about at the time she married Booth? 20. She was 20 years old. And now, Booth was a year younger. Now, I, I, I would say you can infer that uh, you can understand why this might have happened, especially with a person as young as she. But also, she really didn't have the easiest of, of uh, lives. Did you ever feel that in, in, um, in her life that her actual birth somewhat portended what her life would be like? Well, yes. Uh, her father was actually married to two people at the same time, so... It just follows that she did the same. But the circumstances of her birth, would you share that with us? Well, there's there's three stories about her birth. Uh, one that she was given, she, uh, Abraham married uh, Mary, and they had they gave birth to uh, Isola. Another is that uh, Abram was a sea captain. And Isola was born aboard ship. And the third one is that he was a common sailor, and he met her in Spain. Uh, whenever you are dealing with Isola or John Wilkes Booth, 
there are multiple stories, and you have to decide which one you're going to believe. And that's the most difficult thing that I have, is deciding over multiple stories, which one do you include in your book? And Mary Whitney, who was married to Abram when she was 16 years old, there is a birth certificate, there is a marriage certificate, excuse me, but there's no birth certificate for uh, Isola. So I discounted that one. The other story is that she was born aboard ship and her father was the sea captain. And that's the one I believe because that's the one that Ogarita Booth believed and that's, that was John Wilkes Booth's daughter. And I went with that one for a long time, but when I found out that Abram was 17 years old when he was supposedly a sea captain, I, I kind of began to have doubts about that story. So I believe now that uh, Isola's father was just a common sailor, and he met Isola's mother, uh, Isola Mendoza, in Spain, and they were married in Spain. And that means that Abram was married to two people, Mary Whitney and Isola Mendoza at the same time. Uh, the Abraham or Abram about which you speak, uh, his last name is Mills, right? So that would be... Yes. Okay, so we're, nobody, I want anybody to think we're talking about Abraham Lincoln, you know. No. Uh, yeah, now you mentioned the fact about all the stories that have swelled up around almost every aspect of the Lincoln situation, we'll call it. Uh, okay. When you did your research, in one way there's more information than there ever has been previous about certain intrigues, like the Lincoln assassination. We can look back to William Henry Harrison, for instance, and Buchanan. But was one of the problems also too much information where uh, stories got changed, uh, got somewhat sanitized, perhaps, or the government got in there and said, this is the way it goes? In Isola's case, I believe that uh, the story of her, become, her father becoming a sea captain was something that the family just told their children because they didn't want to say that he was a common sailor. So I believe that was a family myth that was that began there. And I believe that uh, other stories are just misinformation and, and misunderstandings. Uh, but you did have, and, and I want to say this too, folks. I mean, if you read this book, it's, it's almost like reading um, a treatment or a script for a fiction piece about a woman who, though perhaps gone through some rough times and, of course, being attached to an assassin whom the home country hates, and then, and then goes on and still tries to make something good out of it, it, it almost sounds too interesting to be true, and yet it is. But do you, do you feel that Isola's story has been somewhat throttled only, we'll say, because of her attachment to Booth? Oh, absolutely. Isola herself is guilty of much of the misinformation. She wanted to separate herself and her family from Booth as much as she could. So she began creating false documents and false stories. So much of the informa misinformation came from Isola. But this is understandable if she's trying to shield not only herself, but any of her, pro uh, her children, correct? Absolutely, but it makes it extremely difficult when you're trying to write a story about her. Right, because it would seem that the person about whom you're writing is doing everything to keep from being... Her, her identity, yeah. Right, for having your... I, wouldn't, I was going to say exposed, that's kind of a harsh word. Revealed, I guess, is better. Can you give us uh, uh, somewhat of a timeline as to the events that led to her meeting Booth? Well, again, there's multiple stories. When she was 20 years old, she met Booth at a dance, at a ball, and I believe she met him in... Uh, in Rhode Island, but there are also stories of Martha Mills meeting Booth in Richmond, Virginia. Now, Martha Mills is another woman with the same name, and she was an actress, and people confuse this Martha Mills with Isola Martha Mills. <laughs> Isola at the time was not Martha Mills. She was Isola uh, Bellows, so she wasn't even using Martha Mills as her name. So there is confusion between two women with the same name. And, you know, just of recent, I, I told you that it gets you can get a little turned around with, with these names. You know, you don't need Martha popping Absolutely. up twice. 
you had uh, said to me, or you had written to me in an email, what Martha Mills wasn't. Uh, it is a, some presume that she was a half sister. Martha was to Isola. That's not the case. But was, was there any blood there shared with their cousins or anything like that? No, absolutely not. Comple- no. Completely not it's associated. Totally okay. No, that's correct. No, not associated. Well, except for the name. And then, of course. Uh, is, well, that's about Martha, but I'll just I ask this last question. We'll get back to Isola. You, you know, John Wilkes Booth was never apparently uh, in need of female companionship. Uh, no, certainly not. The stories that Martha Mills was kind of involved, at least at some point, do you find that to be spurious or true? Or No, that's, it's, no I believe it. But she was a lover of John Wilkes Booth. But we're not talking about Isola Martha right. Mills. We're talking about Martha Mills. Well, yeah, she was a lover of John Wilkes Booth. So I mean, I mean, not that I can't get confused very easily. I, I can, but <laughs> it, you know, after I mean, there was a time when I started going following Lizola, uh, not necessarily even in your book, but yeah, there too. But in other places, and all of a sudden, this is Martha shows up, and it's like, oh wait, wait a second, and you go back and you find out that okay, yeah, their names are similar, but they have no real um, familial link. Uh, <clears throat> So we, so we know that Martha was involved in, with Booth as well. So going back to Lizola, Isola, what about the time that she was, she was born to the couple, but she did not stay with her parents? Is that correct? Can you pick that story up there? Yes. Uh, Abram met uh, Isola Mendoza in Spain and had a date with her, and then he left on his ship and sailed away. And then three years later, he came back to the same port, and wanted to look up Isola Mendoza to have another rendezvous with her. And he discovered that she had a two-year-old with her, and her name was Martha Mendoza. And the Catholic Church at the time was very harsh on unmarried uh, women. And uh, Abram felt very guilty about uh, having this child, and so he married Mrs. Mendoza, and he had her come with him aboard ship to America. Now, sailors, common sailors, were allowed to have their wives with them aboard ship. And he took his wife aboard ship. And on the way, Miss, uh, she got sick and died. So Abram put Isola up with relatives, and she was with relatives for most of her life, or at least until she was about ten years old. All right. So at ten years, ten sorry, years old, Abram remarried. All right. So, so Abram being a sailor, uh, that doesn't bode well for uh, raising a child. So no, he, absolutely not. right. I mean, I don't know that we can really fault him for that. But here again, she's without her birth parents now, with her mother gone. And the next family that she went, did she go? Now there was an orphanage involved in there somewhere too. So what? What would the sequence uh, between other people that she stayed with? the orphanage, and did she ever really get any kind of stability before she met Booth? Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, Abram married uh, uh, Caroline Jinx, and he brought uh, Isola home to live with them. And Caroline and, Ab- and, Caroline and, and uh, Isola did not get along. And one day, Abram was out to sea, and he got sick and died, which left Isola with uh, Carolyn, and Carolyn didn't like Isola, and she kicked her out of the house. Then she wandered around, and she wound up in Boston, Massachusetts, living on the streets, and she was taken in by an orphanage uh, and was adopted by a uh, family that uh, raised her, and she had, was in a very loving family at the time. Is that the, was that the D'Arcy's? Yes, that was Fanny D'Arcy adopted her. Now, I, I probably should frame this out, taking for granted that everybody knows that the, the, the era, so to speak. I mean, obviously, you know, it's before the Civil War, folks. But we're we're looking at uh, what? 1850. Was that? 18, 1850. Okay, and Isola's birthday was this was what? Uh, 1837. Yes. Okay. She had a stable situation with the Arcees, but didn't something happen there a little outside wedlock? Or, well, she was in a very happy, loving relationship with uh, the Arcees until uh, uh, their son Harry came for a visit, 
and Harry was very infatuated with uh, 15-year-old Isola. And one day when Harry came for a visit, the Isolas weren't the uh, the Arcees weren't home, and he uh, he uh, enticed uh, Isola to have a romantic relationship, and she became pregnant. So she was an unwed mother at 16. Life just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Holy mackerel! <laughs> so now she she uh, living with it, uh, an adoptive uh, fa- uh, parents uh, yeah. now has a child, and then she how- named the child after her lover. Harry D'Arce. Okay, now, uh, how soon after, or is, or is Bellows already in the picture as her first husband? No, uh, no, she was no, not, not at this time. A couple years later, uh, Bellows came to visit the D'Arce's, and they wound up getting married. That was in 1855. And so he, well, I'm not going to say obviously, but he had, I guess, no problem with the fact that she had already had a child. Absolutely not. I believe that he was only interested in sex. That was the only thing that he was interested in. So in other words, when Bell- Bellows is another seaman, no doubt, right? Yes, he's another seaman. And uh, when he would come to port, he would come meet up with Isola and have sex, and then he would be off on his way again. Uh, and so while she was married uh, to Bellows, that's when she ran into Booth, correct? Yes, yeah, she met Booth at a, at a dance. And... Uh, they were attracted from the very moment they met, and they fell in love with each other and were married within a few days. Now, this is conjecture, but I'm going to ask you this. Would you say that this legitimately, knowing Booth's reputation, which he has already worked on, but could you say, one, it was legitimately love at first sight, and two, do you think that union might have continued, <laughs> you know, had it not been for all the other vicissitudes uh that both of them were dealt? Well, there's no doubt on Isola's part that it was love at first sight. As for John Wilkes Booth, many people say he never really loved anyone. So I really don't know about Booth, but for Isola, she was indefinitely in love with him. Yeah, you know, I'm just wondering. You know, it almost sounds like, and again, this is conjecture, but thinking about it in modern-day terms, I mean, things really don't change that much, and and your story brings that to light as far as relationships between men and women. Um, but we could also say that having, like in the, in the uh, situation with uh, uh, Darcy, that, I mean, a 15-year-old girl, we have to call her a girl, in those days, they kind of got married, didn't they, at that age? Oh, yes. It was quite common. So this wasn't what we would call a, a tawdry uh, attraction. It was pretty much standard fare in the country at that time. Yes, except they weren't married. And no, uh, no. and when Isola realized that Harry was never going to marry her, she wrote heartbreaking poetry about about their relationship that just tears your heart apart. You know, at this point, we want to stop for a second. Uh, we've been talking with Troy Cowan. He is the author of two books. The one that's front and center of this discussion is Isola, the story of John Wilkes Booth's wife. He has another book, extremely interesting, (laughs) believe me, Lincoln, Davis, and Booth, Family Secrets. Now, you have them obviously in in paper form, book form, and also in Kindle. Uh, Authors sometimes have preferences where they would like people to go to make a purchase. Sometimes they have their own website they'd like people to go to. But with regard to your two books... Uh, do you have a preference as to where someone goes uh, to purchase them? Well, Isola is only on Kindle, so you'd have to go to Amazon to buy Isola. Okay. Uh, and it would also be a good place to buy uh, Lincoln Davis and Booth. Okay. So Amazon is, would be the, my first choice. Okay. <clears throat> All right, good. Uh, getting back to the story, as you started to research this, we often hear, uh, authors, even in fiction, very often in fiction, speak about how as they draw up a character as a write, you'll, you'll hear him or her say, well, I really started to like the character, or I really fell in love with the character, or, or something to that extent. Now, in the factual world, this would not be unusual either. What I'm asking you is, 
One, as you started to delve deeper into Isola's life, uh, it would seem to me that you had a certain kind of respect for her. Uh, you treated her very fairly, and I would say with a great deal of grace. What was your feelings as you wrote Isola uh, from the beginning uh, through the end? Well, in the beginning, I, she just had an interesting story. And I looked and looked for uh, books on Isola. I could find none. So I decided to uh, do the research and write my own book. And during that process, I fell in love with her. I thought she was a fantastic, warm person and certainly deserving of, of love and attention that that she found in her life very difficult to to receive. Also, what might be a, a casualty in all this, and I'm taking this from your book, so I don't, if I have inferred incorrectly, let me know. But you just mentioned before uh, about the poetry she wrote, especially in the saddened state at that time. But she did seem to show some kind of, shall we say, art, artist uh, inclinations. Uh, she had that kind of bent to her. Uh, is that correct? Yes, yeah, she was a writer her entire life. From uh, even before she got pregnant for the first time at 15, she she began writing. Uh, she was never an actress, as most people believe. That Martha Mills was the actress, not Isola Mills. Uh, but Isola was very talented, and she attracted very talented people. Everyone in her life was a writer, it seems. Did you find anything to the effect that, and this would be not an uncommon story, I believe, especially with adolescents, uh, children who are in some rough times, have a tendency to become introverted, not that they can't communicate, but they don't necessarily uh, converse or uh, uh, become social. However, in place of that, to sublimate, I guess, they often become extremely eloquent uh, or even descriptive in the case of a visual artist uh, in their solitude. Was that the case necessarily with Isola? I believe it was. She was a prolific writer about, uh, yeah, about her life through uh, stories and poems. Yeah, and I, I can only say this, again, inferring, but generally about... Uh, people like that whose beginnings are a little bit rough, that, and that they are, in a sense, withdrawn. That I, ha I have no indication of that. What, that she was withdrawn? No, she's not. she was not withdrawn, to my knowledge. She would be called normal, in my view, for the circumstances that she lived. Uh, I would say she's very normal. Okay, even going through that stage, obviously, before she becomes, you know, married... Uh, only because of you know how many 15-year-olds necessarily uh, you know wind up becoming pregnant and also bouncing from home to home and I guess bouncing is a bit of a pejorative term. Um, well, living on the streets, starving. It's, it's yeah, incredible. that'll do it. No, it just seems to me that what they do is they encapsulate themselves, they insulate themselves with a world that they can create through. Uh, Literary work or yeah, through art. It could be, right? Yeah, through her writing. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I'm, I'm inferring that, but I don't think that's too far afield because as I was reading this, and maybe uh, drawing on some personal experiences, uh, that that would that sometimes that kind of uh, let's say uh, literary or again artistic flair. Uh, gets developed and serves them very well, and certainly did in her case. And as you said, it seems like everybody that was involved with her or around her was a writer. And just for a moment, can we just go ahead? Because really, it even it even goes to her granddaughter. That was, I mean, we uh -huh. we, we probably have come across the granddaughter's work uh, out in Hollywood, but she, she, I guess she kept that kind of genetic. Uh, uh, strain in her. Yeah, she doesn't have the same first name, Isola Forrester. Yeah, and that gets a little confusing, too. But yeah, it does. But she is the granddaughter of Isola. Uh, she is the daughter yeah. of Ogarita? Ogarita. And Ogarita's last name, she's known as Henderson, is that correct? Uh, 
No, well, she she married uh, Henderson. Right. But we're talking about Ogarita Bellows, and she, and after Isola died, she called herself Isola or Ogarita Booth. So she because more or less Booth was her real father. Now that was a that was her real father, correct? Yes. All right, because she she wasn't quote stealing the name, although she takes some kind of criticism, and people are still what to this day. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they're kind of like saying that that isn't necessarily a proven fact. It's, there always seems to be couched in language about her that, well, she claims to be. When they, you know, when you hear it that, or read it that way, you know, you're being kind of told like, well, we're not really sure, and she probably wasn't. But in fact, the work that you've done indicates that she was, in fact, the offspring well, of. The mother says that Ogarita was her daughter. The father, John Wilkes Booth, said that Ogarita was her father, and the child says that John Wilkes Booth and Isola were the, her mother. So mother, father, and child all agree. So who are we to decide that that's not correct? And yet there is some kind of resistance to that, isn't there? Yes, I, there's all kinds of resistance to everything about Booth and Isola. Um, now we, we get to the point where, all right, she's married Booth, and this would be what? This was around 1857? Nine. 59. 1859, she married him. All right, now we've got, we've got drums in the distance that do not spell good times for the United States. Uh, what kind of life did they have? I mean, he, he was a thespian. Uh, the only, only dramatic venues, I guess, or vehicles or instruments, if you want to use that word. Now, there was no TV. There was no film. It was plays. Everything was about plays. And mm -hmm. Booth was from an acting family that we could equate to, what, in our lifetime? Uh, who am I thinking of <laughs> in the Dr. Well, he was very popular at, at the latter stages of his career. Who's that? Booth. Booth. No, I was saying... Booth started off... Didn't uh, start off well, but he practiced his craft, and he became known as a leading man. Well, what I wanted to liken it to, but I tripped all over myself, was the fact that most of us are aware of the Barry Barrymore family. Uh, as uh, I don't know, he's pretty old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can't think of anything else except Drew's still around. But uh, if you, if anybody ever heard of the Barrymores, can we say or Clark try, Gable or? Well, would you say that the Booths could be likened, or probably that would be a, a kind of a, a downgrade for them, but? They were that kind of a family that it, it yes, ran absolutely. from what from father through uh, sons. Yes, and the and the granddaughter. But how long? I mean, there was a problem Ogarita there too. Ogarita was an actress, also. Excuse me. Yeah, Ogarita was. Yes. Right. Which I think is the reason why she took the booth name. That kind of makes sense. It's good for business. Where others might shun it. I mean, in this situation, she actually. Well. I don't agree with that. I think that was very bad for business. People began hating her for that. Really? All right. Okay. Well, and again, she had an early demise, did she not? Yeah, she died at 32. Jeez. It's almost like a curse on that house. Uh, yeah, exactly. But how long did uh, Isola and Booth have any kind of semblance of a, of a normal household before he was off and running? And then, the, then comes the Civil War. As the Civil War was raging, Booth needed a, a, a farm where no one knew about it, where he could uh, go and and be secure. And he and Isola moved there, as in the Shenandoah Valley, and that was as close as a, a relationship to Booth as she had, because Booth was always gone. He would just come back and visit and take off again. So it was not a very satisfactory relationship. Probably the best relationship that she and Booth had was on their way to India by ship. They, the, the ship voyage lasted for three months. So she had Booth all to herself during that time. However, it's interesting because, now, is this the farm in Harpers Ferry? No, this is south of that. I know the Shenandoah it, it, Whereabouts do you have a town's name that exists to this day? No, because Booth wanted it concealed. Yeah, and I'm sure there weren't many. Booth did not when he bought the farm. He did not use his real name. Can you can you conjecture 
uh, based on what you read, like whereabout that might have been? I mean, are we down as far as, say, I don't know, Harrisonburg or something like that? Or Well, we would be in the uh, southwest edge of the Shenandoah Valley. I mean, that valley runs the length of the Blue Ridge. That's quite a stretch. Yeah, and the, and Booth's family's home was in uh, Harpers Ferry, north so of there. Getting back to Booth being in a way and not quite catching up to the India scenario, which is unbelievable in itself, she knew at somewhere along the line, did she not either find letters or heard it through the grapevine that Booth wasn't necessarily faithful? Oh, uh, when... Uh when Booth had Isola moved to the farm, in his truck there were many letters. Isola read them, and she knew all about their, his love affairs. It was no secret to her. It tore her heart apart, but it was no secret. At this time, how many children did she have? She had two. Uh, Ogarita, which most people call Rita Booth, and uh, Charles Bellows, Jr., what was the fate of those? Well, of the of the boy, did he die early? No, he lived a good life, and uh, he was a good writer also. Did she have um, a children though that died early? Yeah, she had two. Uh, the Harrys, who uh, Harry D'Arcy got Isola uh, pregnant, and that baby only lived for about three years. And there wasn't the second try also fated. Yes. Uh, after they married, after she married uh, Bellows, she had another son, and that child died at five years old. So she had uh, her first two children died. All right, so now she has two children. Um, she had two children, and then she had Ogarita, which was her third child. Okay. Now, can we say this much for Booth? Uh, a philanderer he might be, but did he not keep her at least comfortable financially? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She was very well. She had no problems financially when she married Booth. Up until that time, Bellows was not a good provider at all. She, she had to work as a dressmaker to earn her living. She was really struggling. But when she met Booth and married him, everything changed. She was well taken care of. Can we, again, conjecture that maybe she wasn't a kept wife, but she might have been able to deal with his extramarital affairs in exchange for being kept in a style that she definitely could grow accustomed to. Isola, Isola deeply loved John Wilkes Booth. There's no doubt about that. And she would do anything, including allowing him to have extramarital affairs. In order, She did that just to keep him. She loved him so much. Uh, did, she, did they or did she also have a residence in Baltimore? Oh, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Was that, can we call Baltimore the, the official or at least the obvious or visual uh, hometown or center for John Wilkes Booth? Well, for John Wilkes Booth, no, I wouldn't say that. But for Isola, it would certainly be true. But Booth, all right, I'm referring to the fact now, uh, Booth was Maryland born, was he not? I believe so. And I, I thought that kind of his uh, purlieu, if you would, uh, was Baltimore. In fact, is, I, I think, isn't that where he uh, even first encountered one of the uh, conspirators, Louis Payne? Did you did you come across anything to that effect? Well, yes. Uh, Payne was, uh, in a, had been released from a prison hospital in, uh, I think it was Baltimore, come to think of it. Yeah. But don't, don't quote me because I can't remember. But, uh, but Payne was on the street starving to death when uh, Booth came up to him and and he said that he would take care of him if he would be loyal to him. So that's where he got his one of his recruits. One of the things we don't think about, again, in terms of uh, notoriety, because we've been removed quite a bit from Booth and the whole family, which was a, a family of note, um, at least on the stage. So could we, could we assume that, that Booth was recognizable out in the crowds and kind of got a certain respect because of of uh, what he did and who he was? Yes, from uh, Virginia through Washington to New, New York. Yes, I would say so very much. 
I don't know if you came across this, but I think that that interlude between Payne and Booth, I don't know, it seems to me that, I mean, he was a young man, 21, I guess, somewhere around there, in the state that he was in, and all that he might have gone through, too. He's pretty much a puppy dog uh, and dedicated to Booth, was he not? Absolutely. Totally dedicated. Now, there's another figure up there, too, who goes back some time into, I think, Booth's adolescence, perhaps, maybe a little bit later. And that was another of the, uh, the conspirators, another of the eight. And that was Michael O'Loughlin, who was pretty much a friend of Booth's up and around Baltimore, correct? Uh, they were lifelong uh, friends. Um, they were born in the, in the same vicinity within months of each other. Would you consider, and I know this gets away from his old a little bit, but would you consider Booth in the work that you've done, because you've obviously written the other book, Lincoln, Davis, and Booth, so, I mean, it's kind of fair game, at least uh, among the books that you've written. Did you, did you really buy the fact that Booth was some kind of Confederate zealot? Zealot might be too strong. He was certainly a supporter, Confederate supporter. But also, he... Uh, he was making money on this situation as well. Now, there's talk about the me for cotton deal that Lincoln had sanctioned, but Booth had a little enterprise going too, and I, and I think maybe Isola even helped in that. I'm not sure, but can you can you talk about that? Well, Booth was uh, smuggling uh, medicines to uh, Stonewall Jackson. He was he was smuggling uh, quinine. Uh, for fever and opiates for pain, and he made a fortune doing that. Now, Martha Mills was probably helping him with that, not Isola Mills. Okay. So I don't believe Isola Mills had anything to do with it, no. But Martha Mills certainly did. Okay. Because I thought there was a, a female, and again, here's where I have to admit, at certain points I might have just slipped one in, in place of the other. And that's so easy to do. Yes, it is. I mean, I've, I've been on this now for, what, three months? Not necessarily about Isola, but when the names keep popping up, uh, I'm not so sure, honestly, Troy, that some other authors might not have, like, kind of gotten it mixed up. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, it's easy to do, but this is also one of the things that people like Mysteries unsolved in many cases, uh, this is one for the ages, uh, and, and Troy's brought this to life. Now, yeah, Well, that's one of the, my main worries, is that sometimes I feel that maybe I got things mixed up and, and, and didn't get it straightened out right, so that's one of my worries. In the, in the work that you did with this, there's one thing I have to ask you, because uh, I came across this, and I'm curious if you did. One of the things that I feel very disappointed about was the amount of times that uh, people wrote down their memoirs or reflections, and they always seemed to state, uh, I could tell more, but it would do no good, or something to that effect. And do you ever wonder what in the world all these people knew? I mean, there's several of them who, who made that caveat when they wrote something down about what they had done. And, and does leave out part of it. That's a very frustrating experience, yes. Uh, I mean, it was there to be had, and suddenly it's gone. Yes, I did a great deal of research. They, there were several writers who uh, who said that this person talked Booth into assassinating Lincoln, and they never would tell you who that person was. I spent months of research trying to figure out who that person was, and then I found out why it was Andrew Jackson or Andrew Johnson, excuse me, the Vice President of the United States. <laughs> so right. yes, I can understand why some people' information had uh, information concealed. Well, I, I, I got a chuckle out of you of, of referring to Andrew Jackson because here's another thing about American history that drives you nuts. I mean, from from Jackson, and we can say through um, William Henry Harrison, I, I guess what, Taylor, uh, uh, yeah. Buchanan, Lincoln. Uh -huh. I mean, you never think of American politics and society having these what we consider, I think we feel the same way, attempts on the chief executive's life, I mean, it's worse than, it's almost, it's worse than killing kings over in Europe. It, it, it was a lot of stuff going on, and these, these individuals' lives, I mean, if we could assume Harrison and Taylor met with nefarious ends, 
Jackson escaped because of two guns that jammed, then what kind of providence is that? Uh, Buchanan was poisoned and survived, and then Lincoln is assassinated. I mean, it doesn't really speak well for the, for the beginning of our political parties, does it? Now, that's one thing that frustrates me is that ex- excluding Jackson, Jackson was probably, uh, the, his attempted murder was probably due to banking, not due to the Civil War. Oh, yeah. But as for the other uh, presidents that died in office during 1850s to 1860s, it's curious that they that got sick and died were the only presidents that were opposed to slavery, and their vice presidents were supporters of slavery. So the presidents that supported the freeing of the slaves, they died in office, and the, the presidents that were that wanted to keep slavery, they lived. That's an amazing coincidence. Do you think the strongest uh, swap out there was uh, Tyler for, uh, was it Tyler for Polk? Or was it Tyler for, oh no, it was Tyler and Harrison, wasn't it? Yes, I believe it was. I think it was, that was I'm, the I'm one. I'm not sure, I don't. Because uh, it, I've just been reading stuff lately about how, uh, and I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Harrison's demise. Tyler came in and just swept out everybody that was in the cabinet. And the author claims that what he what he did install were all pro-slavery uh, uh, cabinet members. Mm-hmm. So there's one where it's so, a really glaring example that the that the, the, the vice the president and the vice president were definitely headed in different directions. But this is also a case, isn't it, at that time that you could have uh, what do they call it back then? Like a, a mix and match ballot. You could vote I, for I'm the, not aware of that now. Yeah, all right. I got I got to check that out because it seems to me that, that that was a possibility, which of course would. Not work out well as it didn't work for Harrison to have Tyler be so. Uh, well, the, yeah, the thing that amazes me is that from 1850 to 1860, all the presidents that wanted to free the slaves were were either died or their assassination was attempted, and 100 percent of the people that supported slavery lived and had no problems. Yeah, that's that, that's an interesting. Uh, part of history that, again, has been sanitized and kind of just swept away. Um, yeah, yeah but, sanitized, that's a good word. So, <clears throat> getting back to, uh, and I, I thank you for letting me go on that little bit of a digression, I appreciate that. Booth also had oil interest, did he not? I'm confused over that. Uh, I believe so, but oil was also, uh, oil investments is also a key word or a code word in uh, their dealings with uh, with the Confederacy. So I, I'm not sure how much he was interested in oil. Okay, I got it. But the rumors and the stories are that he had vast holding. Yeah, some some uh, paint him as being uh, kind of uh, meager in his means, but that was not the case at all. And that's another one of the reasons why I, I look at him, and you mentioned this before, whether or not he had the capacity to truly love anyone, because he was pretty much narcissistic, it would seem. And you can understand that to a certain extent for somebody who was a top dog in the theater. But it seemed like Booth's, what do you call it, three greatest, um, I want to say loyalties were one, Booth, two, Booth, and three, Booth. (laughs) So It would would seem so. (laughs) Now, can we get to the point? Because this gets very strange, and this is another true mystery in her life that she survived it is amazing but there's so little really written about it as to find out exactly all that happened you probably got it closest than most people if not everybody Uh, there's a time at which and I'm going to ask you where you want to take this how about if we start at Isola realizing that John Wilkes Booth did not die at Garrett's barn can we do that well after Booth escaped from Garrett's farm, he went straight to Isola, living, who was living at his secluded farm. And Isola discovered that uh, he had a broken leg, but she knew nothing about the assassination. She was way out in the country. She had no idea what was going on. And Booth, one of the things that bothers me is that Booth was wearing the bottom part of his boot. When Dr. Mudd cut off the top, he left the bottom or the shoe part so he could still wear it. And the uh, picture in Ford's Theater of, it, of his boot is a boot intact. How can that be? That just doesn't make sense to me. Because uh, 
Because if he cut it off, how could it be intact? Did they sew it back together? I remember when you said that to me, and I remember paging through a book somewhere and saw the, the full-length boot, and I, I didn't give it much thought. I'm saying, wasn't that supposed to be cut up? And I just kept going. And you're exactly mm-hmm. right. Unless it was the other boot, I don't know. But well, and, and another still thing, wearing it. Well, and people should not overlook the fact when you said that Isola wasn't aware of the assassination necessarily, it's like, remember, there was no mass communications. Unless you had a telegram or going to go down to the telegraph office, you wouldn't know what happened. Right. So he comes. So I don't know when she found out about the assassination, unless Booth told her. But it could have been months or years. Or, yeah, it could be a long time. But he does show up in bad shape, doesn't he? Because of the, yeah, he shows up with a broken leg. Supposedly, everyone's looked, no, I guess I don't know. There you go. If Booth is dead at Garrett's barn, and in fact is not dead, then in essence, no one's looking for him, because I think we can agree Stanton wanted him just to go away. He had him dead, so stay dead. But even though no one's looking for him per se, he still had to be concerned about being identified somewhere at some time, correct? No, I think that uh, if he became identified, he'd be caught and hung, so I don't think they were even worried about it. Who Booth wasn't worried about uh, it? go out in the open. You don't think Booth was uh, somewhat concerned about being uh, found out? Oh, he was absolutely concerned about being found out. All right, and, and so if I misstated the question, that's my fault, because the thing is, even though they may have called the dogs off him, obviously because he's supposedly dead, still in all, he's got to watch, because he's got at least one telltale thing going for him, and that is he's got, did he not have a lifelong limp? I don't believe so. Uh, there are stories that he had a lifelong limp, but uh, if you read the story about uh, John St. Helens, he didn't say anything about a limp. So I don't believe he did, no. Okay. He shows up. Obviously, he must, uh, I mean, he's got to explain certain things of what he's going to do. How long did he stay? Do you know how long he stayed with Isola? And I'm, I'm assuming this is also a time of some kind of recuperation. He definitely stayed there for six months. And then he... He uh, took off and went uh, to see his old girlfriend, uh, Kate Scott, and he traveled around, and then he returned to uh, Isola. Uh, The Kate Scott deal, and again, yes, (laughs) here he is prolific once again, uh, impregnating her, is that correct? This was before, uh, before the assassination. She gave birth about six or seven months after the assassination. Okay, but uh, are you referring to when he goes to, uh, is it Meadville, Pennsylvania? And that's got something to do with some kind of assets, doesn't it? She was holding a letter for Booth, and uh, the the contents was never disclosed, so we don't know what was in the contents. That's why he went to see her. He went to see her for that to get that letter. Okay. Now, what, what does he do? What's the arrangements he makes with Isola, if any, because he can't stay there? For all that long, what do we know about his uh, his actions and his movements after he leaves Isola? Well, he heads to California, uh, where he visits with his mother, who was who was staying in California, San Francisco at the time. Now, I, I don't think we want to go into this at this point. Can we just kind of fast forward through this, just for a fact? I mean, he winds up assuming another identity, correct? He had many identities. But one has to be necessary for him to uh, exit the country. Oh, yes, John Byron Wilkes. Yeah, he took, the, he took on the identity of John Byron Wilkes in order to get a passport so he could leave the country and go into uh, India. And the reason why that's key is that uh, John uh, Wilkes was an English immigrant. They both were known to each other, apparently, and he was a farmer. This is the, the British John Wilkes, uh, and remained in Indiana his whole life. But if he is an iron factory worker, right? But he's but now Booth has the he could get a passport based on being a British citizen, and that allows him. I believe he went to the British consulate in San Francisco, did in fact mm-hmm. get a passport in the name of John Wilkes, so he's no longer John Wilkes Booth. You know that's yes. A, huh? Yeah, that's correct. No, we're just saying about how their names are close. I mean, here's another incidence where you have John Wilkes Booth who also called himself at times John Byron Wilkes, I believe, right? Yeah, his stage name. When he first started acting, he was a very poor actor. He didn't take it seriously. So he called himself John B. Wilkes so that it, he wouldn't be associated with the acting family of Booth. So that was not that was just a, just what he did. And he, uh, 
he met and fell in love with uh, Lola Alexander, and she also knew a family by the name of John Byron Wilkes, and she introduced them, and Booth even stayed in their home. So he knew all about John Byron Wilkes. So when he went to San Francisco, he had all the information that he needed to, to steal the identity. And that's what allows him to get out of, of the United States undetected. Yes. Uh, now, do you, do you want to pick it up with Stevenson? Uh, is that what you understand that Stevenson helped Isola, Isola uh, bring certain uh, funds to, uh, to Booth in San Francisco? Well, Michael O'Loughlin was convicted and sentenced to prison. Uh, a man by the name of Mr. Pollock, uh, an official at the prison, helped him escape. And he went back to Baltimore to help Pollock steal Booth's money that he had hidden away in, uh, in the Shenandoah Valley. But... Uh, Michael O'Loughlin had no intention of stealing his money. He wanted to keep it all to himself. He changed his name to Stevenson, and he went to see Isola, and they agreed that they would split the money, and he would help her go to San Francisco and meet up with Booth. He, he was freed from his prison sentence as being one of the eight conspirators. He was one of four sent to the Dry Tortugas. He's approached by a government agent, who I, I assume makes the makes the deal that look if you can point us to Booth's a cache of uh, gold and silver and, and paper, we'll give you a new identity. And that's pretty much what happened. Although O'Loughlin, now known as Stevenson, kind of double crosses the government and kind of heroically gets Isola out to uh, San Francisco with the money. Yes, that's correct. I, you know I, I, that's amazing that he could get away with that, but they did do that. And that was some trip in itself, without a doubt. But finally, we could talk and about. They- I'm sorry, go ahead, Troy. And the the hardships of going to uh, California was immense. Twice, uh, Stevenson became very ill, and Isola had to care for him, and they had to go through blinding snowstorms, and it was just amazing how they even survived, carrying uh, hundreds of pounds of gold in a, in a springboard wagon. It was really amazing. Yeah, and I, I guess they went by rail, but I'm not, I don't know, but... Yes, they they went to Baltimore. Or they went. To, I don't know where they caught the train. I forgot. Uh, Harrisburg. They caught a train. They went up Harrisburg, to Harrisburg, yes, I think, because they were afraid to go. Yes. To, yeah. The train track to uh, California was almost completed, but not quite. So they went as far west as they could. Then they went by stagecoach, and then caught the train again. And they took them to San Francisco. And you, you got to think that. I mean, you feel like a male. You know, a male shouldn't have a problem doing that necessarily. But here is Isola going along step for step, and as you mentioned, taking care of him at least twice because he, he became ill. So, I mean, this woman was not, uh, shall we say, uh, put together rather daintily. I mean, she she must have been a tough person. She must have been. However, um, again, things don't always work out so well for Isola. Uh, do you want to cap this interview with uh, discussing, well, what what is... I guess as much as can be known about Booth and Isola, uh, supposedly going to sail off into the sunset. But you want to pick that up, Troy? Once Isola got to San Francisco, uh, Booth and Isola left for India. We know they left on April 21st, 1868. And it was about a three-month voyage to India, and there they stayed until Isola informed Booth that she was not happy living in India. So they returned to San Francisco. And on their return trip, there was a mutiny by the sailors aboard ship to steal Booth's money. And they killed Captain Scott, and they knocked uh, Booth on the head, and they thought he was dead. Everyone thought he was dead. And they put Isola in a boat, in a in a whaling boat or a rowboat, and they cast her adrift. So she was adrift on the ocean, and the ship sailed away. And the crew abandoned ship and left Booth there. And Booth was not dead. He recovered, and he was aboard ship, and he stayed there until he was rescued. And Isola stayed in her rowboat until she was rescued. 
and she nearly starved to death. And a British ship found her and took her to San Francisco. Once she was in San Francisco, she wired Stevenson, who was in Sacramento, and he came and got her and took her back to Baltimore. We uh, obviously didn't touch upon everything, and that's why there's the book. She dies at the age of 50. Can you just tell us, generally speaking, uh, whether you know for a fact or whether it, it is a, uh, you know. I don't it, died of a stroke at 50, yes. She died. But did she have, I mean, can we, does this have a happy ending anywhere? Uh, you know, it's real life and Hollywood endings aren't always abundant. Do you think that at she the end was, she, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I would say that she lived a very sad life until she met, uh, a man by the name of Edwin Bates, and they were married in 1881. This was not a romantic relationship. It was just a relationship of two friends who liked each other. He provided a warmth, warmth and a good companion, and she, he helped her take care of her children. And for this period of time, this last, what, eight years of her life, she was very happy. So the last years of her life, I would say Isola had a very happy life. Right. Folks, I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable story. Uh, it does speak to the resiliency. You know, you always hear these stories about the pioneer women. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, she had a lot of that uh, in her blood. Uh, not an easy life, and unfortunately a little brief, uh, perhaps not at that time necessarily, but still 50 years. Uh, but it's a great story. Uh, it's a true story, and that's what makes it even more compelling. And again, the name of that book is uh, Isola, the story of John Wilkes Booth's wife. Also, he's written Lincoln Davis and Booth Family Secrets. Really interesting. Uh, if you, I'm just going to say this. If you ever thought that Jeff Davis and Abe Lincoln looked alike, you may not be wrong. <laughs> but that's another good one. I, I tell you, this period is so, so full of mystery and probably answers we may never get. I don't even think they'll... they'll pop up even after we're all gone. But at any rate, this has been Troy uh, Cowan, who is the author of those two books. Uh, Troy, one more time, tell them where they can purchase the books. And also, if somebody's really interested about this, and you'll find people who really do have earnest questions, it would be nice if they could contact you. But why don't you give us where uh, folks can go for the books and how they might contact you uh, in the interim. They can get both books at Amazon.com. And if anybody wants to reach me, they can reach me at Troy's underscore email at yahoo.com. Oh, that's Troy's plural, T-R-O-Y-S? Underscore. Okay. Email at yahoo.com. All right, thank you for that. And I appreciate the fact that uh, you, know, I, you never know what happens when you try to contact somebody, uh, and you were good enough to respond, and I really I do appreciate that without a doubt. And, uh, and the way that you dealt with me, I think, is uh, was very respectable. And, folks, if you do have... Serious questions, uh, you'll get a serious answer. So, Troy, hopefully uh, you might think about coming back, uh, speak a little bit about the Lincoln, Davis, and Booth book and the role of the uh, Knights of the Golden Circle and who the heck Andrew Johnson really was. So maybe you'll come back, but thank you at least for this hour that you gave us. Uh, I appreciate it. (laughs) 